lights up the sky It's the same that appeared and the wise men revered When hope was born this night Out upon the snowy fields There's a silent peace that heals And it echoes the grace of our Savior's embrace Because hope was born this night Glory to God in the highest Peace on earth, goodwill toward men Let all of the world sing the chorus of joy Because hope was born this night I can hear the Christmas bells ring As softly church choirs sing it's the song used to praise the ancient of days when hope was born this night. There are angels in this place, and my heart resounds with the praise. And like a shepherd so scared, I'll rejoice and declare that hope was born this night. Glory to God.
Good morning, Southview. We are so thankful that you're here worshiping with us today. Here are your big three announcements for the week. Are you interested in being a part of the worship team? We have several opportunities available for people to serve, including the tech team, band, or vocals. Please plan to come to our informational meeting on December 3rd to learn more about how you can get plugged in. Lunch will be served. Text the word worship to sign up. Ladies, make plans now to join us for our 13th annual Ladies of Grace brunch on Saturday, December the 9th at 10 a.m. in the Family Life Center. This is always a wonderful event that you will not want to miss. Tickets are currently on sale outside the sanctuary on the children's wing following each Sunday service. Do you think you have the best chili? Do you like to spread Christmas cheer by singing loud for all to hear or just make a joyful noise? Maybe you just want to come out and fellowship. We invite the entire church to our carols, cookies, and chili cook-off on Saturday, December the 16th from 5 to 8 p.m. This is an amazing opportunity for us to share the love of Jesus during the Christmas season. Text the word carols, C-A-R-O-L-S, to sign up. We encourage everybody to download our Southview Baptist Church app from iTunes or Google Play. This will allow you to see all our other announcements, sign up for events, find a journey group, view previous sermons, or access the notes for today's sermon. There are also multiple ways for you to give here at Southview. You can either give online through the app or in the giving boxes at the doors as you exit the sanctuary. If you're a guest visiting with us today, we are so glad you're here. We would love to connect with you. You can help us accomplish this by texting the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298. This is how we can begin to know who you are, pray for you, and see if there's any specific way that we can minister to you. Thank you all again for worshiping with us today. Let's continue to worship Jesus Christ through song. Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Southview, and I am so excited to get to worship with you all this morning. I know that you all have probably been busy coming off the hills of Thanksgiving and getting together with family and friends and eating good food, but isn't it good to get together as the family of God? I want to, just in, that, in the spirit of that, just to read a passage to you, just to reflect our hearts to, uh, to meditate on this morning as we think of just the goodness of our God. It's in 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 8. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. I pray that would be our heart this morning. Stand with us as we worship.
Amen. You may be seated. All right, let's keep things moving here. We are auditioning for the angel. Who's next? Hello. I guess I'm next, ready for my audition. Great. Tell me a little bit about yourself before you read. Well, you may not believe this, but my name is Angel. I've heard them all over the years having a name like this. I bet you have. What made you want to audition for the role of Angel for the live nativity? Well, I'm an actress. A pretty good one, I might add. I see. Yep. I've been acting in community theater since I was a wee little one. Was Annie. Annie? You know, the little orphan one. I see. I played Maria in West Side Story to Phantom in The Phantom of the Opera. You played the Phantom? <laughs> well, yeah. They were short on men that summer, and, well, I don't let an obstacle stand in my way. My rendition of the Phantom was more of a soprano than a low baritone, though. You sound more than qualified. I hope so. I've played every role in the live nativity except my name, The Angel. I thought it was about time. Go ahead and grab the script and read the angel's lines. Already? <clears throat> Let's see. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take yourself, marry your wife, for it is he. Go ahead and stop for a minute, please. Oh, I'm sorry. You do realize this isn't a musical. You were singing the script. Oh, my bad. My bad, my bad. I, I just assumed that you were going to jazz it up a bit. A virgin who is with child is pretty jazzed up, don't you think? So true. I guess I just am used to the story. My bad, my bad. Go ahead. Take another shot at it. Meaning you want me to sing it, right? Please don't. Right. Gotcha. My bad. <clears throat> Mary, your wife, for, it is, for that which is conceived in her is the Holy Spirit. She shall bring forth a son. Thank you. Thank you. You read that passage really great. Let's do it again, but this time maybe more. I'm sorry. For I'm sorry for cutting you off. I just had a oh wow moment. It's just that the angel, the angel made its biggest announcement ever. I mean, you add up all the announcements that have ever been made on this planet, and this is the biggie. It's like the angel was the first instant messenger. She, I am Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. Okay, I'll go with that. I never thought of it that way. An instant messenger. Good. Why don't you read it again? I'm sorry. I'll have to pass. That's a big responsibility to say those lines. No method acting could ever get me ready for this role. I don't want you to act. I want you to put yourself in the angel's shoes. Angels had shoes? A figure of speech. What I mean is... Wings! I bet you meant wings. You want me to put myself in the angel's wings. What I mean is, we're supposed to carry on this great announcement. Or as you put it, instant messengers. To the world, your neighborhood, your group of friends. So think of it in those terms. You lost me there. How about I just sing a little bit of Wind Beneath My Wings? 
Did you ever know that you're my hero? You're everything I wish I... I want you to stop holding on to what you know and what you're comfortable with and just surrender and trust that I've got a plan and a purpose for this. I know you may have doubts, but dive in. Um, okay. My bad, my bad. I'll just dive right in. <clears throat> Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take yourself Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is the Holy Spirit. She shall bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who shall save his people from their sins. Really great angel, angel. You mean it? It was good. You like me? You really like me? I'm I can't wait to tell everybody that I got the part. I didn't say that, but... I'll get back to you very soon. In the meantime, maybe you could put that name of yours to use. You're already a messenger with the greatest news ever told. There I go again, making it about me. My bad, my bad. Well, good morning, church. Yeah, y'all can give him a hand. We are starting our Christmas series today, the cast of Christmas, and so you're going to get to meet a bit more of our characters as we go on leading up to, uh, to the Christmas season. Uh, and as you can guess, today we are looking at the angels. Uh, and so uh, before we get into the angels, though, um, I want to share a story with you about my neighbor. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, so if you've uh, you got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 2. And as you turn there, I want to tell you about my neighbor I had growing up a man by the name of Mr. Conklin. Now, uh, Mr. Conklin was uh, not a nice man. Uh, he, was, uh, he was old. Uh, he may have been described as ornery. Uh, he would occasionally shout at me and my friends if we were doing stuff in the street too close to his yard. He was kind of the epitome of that, you know, angry old man. And, um, and he also, he had two bulldogs. He had two bulldogs that were on a chain leashes in front of his yard. And, uh, and the chains would reach all the way up to the edge of the street. They would go right up to it. And, and I know there's someone out here who's like, oh, I love bulldogs. They're so misunderstood. They're such sweet creatures. These ones were not. These ones might, they were the exception, okay? Um, well, I already said it in the first service, so whatever. We think they might have been trained by Michael Vick, but they... Um, <laughs> I'm telling you, these dogs, they, um, they, were, they were demon dogs that would charge you, barking and foaming at the mouth practically every time you walked by his house. And I promise you, every time you walked past Mr. Conklin's house, it was an act of faith because you didn't know if those chains were going to hold. Uh, but, but Mr. Conklin, uh, he, he was a, an interesting individual, and he also had a very interesting mailbox. It was like this big industrial block at the corner, the, the edge of a street, and it like went down into the ground. And we didn't know if this guy had like a bunker or something down there, but we were fascinated with this, this strange mailbox that he has. I guess it went down to a chute in his basement or whatever, but uh, we may or may not have dropped rocks down there a couple times just to kind of see, you know, how far it goes. But, uh, but Mr. Conklin, he, he, um, he wasn't just my neighbor, but he was also one of the leaders of our HOA. 
That is the, uh, our homeowners association. And I know that there are responsibilities as being a part of that association. And, and I know that they set expectations and regulations for people that move into the neighborhood, right? And, and their ultimate goal, right, was to protect the value of the homes in the neighborhood and to, uh, a, a, and to make the area appear as welcoming and desirable as possible. And I can tell you a full assurance that Mr. Conklin did not accomplish the latter. <laughs> he, uh, his, his house was not welcoming. His dogs were not welcoming. His personality and mannerisms were not welcoming. If you did have an interaction with him, it was usually in the form of a letter or a message board where he would be very short and unyielding. He, but the thing is, Mr. Conklin, as one of the leaders of the HOA, he should have been a, uh, he should have been a beacon, right? He should have been a shining example to the rest of the neighborhood. He ought to have been cheerful and welcoming and painting the image that this neighborhood was an amazing place to live. But he wasn't. Instead, it was quite the opposite. And I believe that if we're honest this morning that many of us have taken a similar stance when it comes to following Christ. We have developed what you could call Conklin Christianity. We know that we should be excited. We know that we have wonderful news to share. We know that we should be beacons of this glorious new life in Christ, but in actuality, we're the opposite. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the angels, and I hope that we can learn a few things from their example. So if you're with me, Luke chapter 2, say word. All right, let's get into it. We're going to start in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace with those whom he is pleased. What I want y'all to see this morning first is the anticipation of the angels. See the anticipation of the angels. Look back in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So let's set the stage for this a bit. I know this is a familiar passage. You know, this is the, the Christmas story, right? But let's set a step back just a little bit, set the stage. Look at the very beginning of Luke chapter 2 with me. Look back at verse 1. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration or census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in. 
Again, very familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of us, right? This is the, the Christmas story. You've got Caesar Augustus who calls for the census to be taken. And when the census occurs, everyone has to go back to their hometown, right? So David, he's from the house of David. He's from Bethlehem. So he travels back to Bethlehem. And if you're married, you go back to your husband's hometown. So Mary and David, they're all heading back to, uh, they're living in Nazareth, but they're heading to Bethlehem. And that journey was about 90 miles. So if you were averaging about two and a half miles an hour traveling and you traveled for about eight hours a day, it probably took them about five days to complete this journey. And so they're traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And, and, and while they're traveling at this time, Mary herself is extremely pregnant, right? And so she travels with Joseph to his hometown of Bethlehem. And when they arrive, it's nuts. I mean, everyone's come to town because they all got to go back to get registered to have the census. So by the time they get there, there's no place to sleep. But it doesn't matter that there's no place to sleep because babies don't wait for convenient times. And so the baby starts to come and Mary goes into labor and they end up spending the evening in a stable or what some people believe was a type of cave. And there Mary gives birth to Jesus and they lay him down in a manger. And this is the Christmas story, right? This is the, the na na nativity scene, right? Which leads us to verse 8. Another character jumps in the scene. Not the focus this morning, but we have the shepherds. And the shepherds, let's acknowledge them briefly. The shepherds were interesting because they were not particularly well-liked. Shepherds were not well-trusted individuals. In fact, even if they were eyewitnesses to an event, shepherds could not testify in court because they were considered untrustworthy. And so you have the, the, God chooses to reveal this message to shepherds who were often dirty, who smelled like animals because, well, they many times lived with animals. And that's exactly where the angel finds them that night in verse 8 is it's another normal night for the shepherds. They're sleeping in the field with their sheep watching over them and then bam. Right, an angel of the Lord burst onto the scene, and, and it says the glory of God shone around them. That word glory has several interpretations. It's used for radiance, for splendor, for brightness. I think it's also important to note that one of the Old Testament names for, um, for, for angels was seraphim. And that word translates as flaming or burning ones. Okay, so... Probably a little, little freaky, right? So you have the shepherds sleeping in the fields with the sheep. There's no city lights. It's dark, just the night sky. Maybe one little star looks a bit brighter than the others. But then suddenly, whew, and I don't know if you've ever been woken up out of a deep sleep by someone flashing the lights on, but that had to be something similar to what the shepherds were experiencing in this moment. Only it wasn't the fluorescence that was blinding them. It was uh, the flaming one, a divine torch sent from heaven that appeared to them. And it's an incredible scene through the eyes of the shepherds, but I want us to see it through the eyes of the angel. Because while this is maybe the first moment, the first big time where the angels burst onto the scene, it wasn't the first role that they played. You see, we don't know exactly when the angels were created. Some people believe that it was during the six days of creation. Others look to passages like Job 38.7, which seem to indicate that the angels were present and celebrating as God laid the foundations of the earth. So whether the angels were created prior to the six days of creation or during it, what we can say with certainty is that by the time God made man, the angels were there. They were present. 
The angels were witnesses in the garden when God had an unimpeded relationship with man and woman. They were present when Adam and Eve rejected and rebelled against God, and they likely understood the results of such things as the angels themselves had already endured a similar rejection and rebellion under Satan. The angels saw mankind's relationship with God as it was intended to be, and its fractured and broken states after man's sin. They were present when God promised man and woman that he would send the Messiah, right? Genesis 3.15, the promised one, the one who would come to crush the head of the serpents, the one who would come to make all things right, to restore them as they should be. They knew that a time was coming, that a moment was coming when God would send the Messiah, a moment fixed in the mind of God, but perhaps not fixed in the mind of the angels. God's people looked and longed for the Messiah, and God continually reminded them of the Messiah's coming through the prophets. Right All throughout the Old Testament, he promised the Messiah through Moses, through Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, David, Hosea, Micah, Daniel, Zechariah, Malachi, all of these men. God gave them glimpses and words of truth of what's to come, but none of them were actually able to see the fulfillment of such things. They only shared what God had shared with them, and then they longed for the day when God would prove his word faithful. And likewise, just as the prophets longed for and anticipated the coming of the Messiah, I believe that the angels did as well. That they longed to see the curse of sin broken and God's relationship with man restored. And we know, unlike God, that angels are not omnipotent. They don't know everything. But I also know you can go and read Daniel chapter 9, and the angel Gabriel seems to have some pretty remarkable and accurate Uh, statistics or uh, information as far as when the Messiah would come. And so the question is, you know, was Gabriel the only angel who knew that? Or did Gabriel even understand all that he was saying? Was it just information given to him by God? I don't know. I'm not certain. But what I can say is that from from the dawn of time, the angels have been curious. And perhaps as we look at the history of creation, the angels are looking at God saying, it's now the time. God, you promised the Messiah is now the time. Cain kills his brother Abel. God, is now the time. God sends a global flood to wipe out the majority of humanity. Is now the time. God scatters the people across the globe with the Tower of Babel. Is now the time. God's people spend 400 years in slavery in Egypt. Is now the time. God's people finally enter the promised land after 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Is now the time. The city of Jerusalem is sacked and destroyed, and the the temple of the Lord is destroyed. Oh, God, is, is now the time. And even if you believe the angels knew fully when God was coming back, the point remains the same. They were waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, after thousands of years of longing and waiting and anticipating, God said, now. And then, boom, the angel appears on the scene and, 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 and like, a, like a morning person who's had two cups of coffee, and you walk in and you're half awake, he's like, good morning and good news, right? And how fitting is it that God uses his angels to deliver his message to mankind? Because it was the angels whom God used originally to separate mankind from himself. If you go back and read Genesis 3.24, listen to it. 
says he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way into the tree of life. In the Old Testament, you have two words for angel. One we talked about was seraphim, that's the burning ones. And then the most common one was in Genesis 3, the cherubim. And some people believe that these are two different types of angels, right? That the seraphim is the one who's on fire and the cherub is the one who's not. Whichever one you believe, this cherub had a flaming sword. So I don't think it makes a difference. Okay, he's, he's not your angel, baby. And, but, but the point is, it was an angel that God placed to separate mankind from himself. And it is now an angel whom God used to deliver the news that restoration had come. And the question I want to lay before you is that if the angels had this much excitement and joy and anticipation for the first coming of Jesus... What is our level of anticipation and excitement for his second coming? You see, I can only imagine what the angel's level of anticipation is for Jesus' second coming. And I can promise you that they don't know when that day is going to come because Jesus says only the Father knows that day. But for us as followers of Christ on this side of the cross, like the angel's, We don't know when something's going to happen, but importantly, we know that it will happen. And so for us on this side of the cross, we know that Jesus is coming back. It is a present reality. It will happen. So where is your level of anticipation for that? How would you rate your anticipation? I know we're in a season where we anticipate many things, right? We anticipate time off from work or time off of school or time with family, time receiving presents and eating good food. And how much of our focus and attention is taken up in the present and spent wallowing in the past when God is driving us into the future? You see, I think about the time when I got married. My, My wife Emily and I, we started dating at the beginning of May. And we were engaged September 30th. And we were married by February 25th. You see, we got married pretty quick, but listen, if I could have gotten married quicker, I would have. I tried for January. It didn't work. And this was in Cleveland, Ohio, okay? It was cold. But I so longed and desired to be married to this woman that I didn't want to wait any longer than I had to. And so ever since I proposed, right, ever since I gave her the ring and, and, and she accepted it on September 30th, the timeline for the wedding was on. The waiting and the longing and the anticipating, it may have been there prior to September 30th, but before that it was fictional. It was a hypothetical fancy, but now it was a certainty, right? It was a fixed future reality that we were moving towards. But here's the thing, after I got engaged, I didn't stop living my life. I still had to do work. I still had to take care of myself. There were things that I was still responsible for. I still served in the church. I still hung out with friends. I did all that I had to do, all of the things that we do in daily life. I did all of those things, only now, everything that I did was surrounded with the excitement and the longing and the anticipation of, I'm getting married soon. Yeah, I'm working my job, but I'm getting married soon. Yeah, I'm doing these chores, but I'm getting married soon. Yeah, I'm hanging out with these friends, but I'm getting married soon, right? Five months out, four months out, three months out, one week out, and, and, and every day, that wouldn't change. 
The normal things I did every day, they didn't change, but how I did them changed radically. And some of the things that I don't normally do, I had to start doing. I had to start saving money for a honeymoon. I needed to find a more secure job. We had a thousand things and details to plan for and lay out all in anticipation of this big day. And then suddenly, the day was here. The planning, the waiting, the anticipating, it was all done. And I got to see the church doors burst open and my beautiful bride walk through them. And everything was worth it. Church, do we, do we live our lives in that sort of anticipation for Jesus coming back? You see, we know that it will happen. But do we anticipate it? Does the future reality affect how we live and do our daily lives? Has our anticipation for that day led us to do things that normally we wouldn't in preparation for it? Are we as excited about Jesus coming the second time as the angels were the first time? I want you to see the angels' anticipation. But secondly, church, I want you to see, I want you to see the angels' proclamation. Look at verse 10 with me. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I love this. The first words the angel says are, Fear not. Right? Don't be afraid. Which, if you look at passages where angels appear, it's a pretty common response. And I can only imagine it's probably because the people were afraid. Right? You have a flaming being from heaven pop up out of nowhere. They're probably scared. We know the angels were, I mean the, the shepherds were. It says they were filled with great fear. And so again, put yourself in the shoes of the shepherds for a second. You're, you're hanging out in the field. It's dark, normal night. And then boom, angel from God appears. And, and again, it's, not, it, it's one of these flaming ones, right? And it says that the splendor and the glory of God, the radiance of it was just shining through the dark. And the angel says, fear not, why? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. See, the angel said, I have a message, which is also fitting, because we've looked at the Hebrew words for angel, the seraphim and the cherubim, but the Greek word for the angel, as you just heard in the video earlier, is angelos, and it means messenger. And so the angel, God, sends his heavenly messenger to deliver a message from heaven. And what kind of message is it? He says, oh, it's a good one. It is good news of great joy for all people. And you look at that phrase, I bring you good news. It's actually one word, evangelizo. It's for the word from which we get the word gospel. That word great, you see, is the word megas for mega. Right? And so the translation here is the proclamation from God's divine messenger is this. He says, guys, listen, I'm proclaiming to you the gospel, which is going to bring mega joy for all people. And that word all in the Greek just means all. So what is the message then? What is the good news? He says, today a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. Let's look at those titles real quick. A Savior implies that people are in danger and that they are in need of rescue. So we ask the question, from what do we need to be rescued? And if you look at Matthew 127, the angel speaks to Joseph about Mary. And he says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
You see, all the people of the world are in need of being rescued from their sin, and the one who will do that, the Savior, has come. Also, this baby is the Christ. And in case you weren't sure, it's not a last name. Um, it means Messiah, right? Anointed one. This, this title marks Jesus as the promised one from Genesis 3.15. And then Lord. Luke has already used this word multiple times in chapter 1. And every single time he uses it in reference to God. But the word itself means master and ruler. And so when we put it all together, the angel says, hey, the Savior Right, the one who will rescue all people from their sin, the Messiah, the promised one who will restore what was broken, and the Lord, the master and ruler of all, has come. Now, isn't that good news of great joy? Church, isn't that good news of great joy? I mean, can, can you sense the joy from the angel, from the messenger? Are you, he's excited to share this message. It's like when you find out something awesome's about to happen and you're so excited that you can't help but share it and you see your friend and you just got to tell your friend about it. You know, um, we just finished coming off the hills of Thanksgiving and we've got family here and um, they're actually, uh, you know, they're, they're still staying with us now. And we had, um, in Emily's parents' house, we had 18 people and 10 of those people were toddlers and young children. All right, and so we, we had a full house, and we knew that at some point during this day, we're going to have to get these kids out of the house, right? This is something that's going to have to happen. And so tomorrow, tomorrow we're going to take them all to the trampoline park, right? And we're going to go hang out there, let them jump around, and, and have an awesome day. But my son, my oldest son, Canaan, when he, when he found out about the plan, right, when, when the plan was shared to him, you know, several, you know, a couple weeks in advance, he couldn't wait to share it with me. I mean, I could barely get in the door when I came home. And, you know, I'm like, I'm one foot in, one foot out. And he's tackling me in the doorway and pulling me in for a hug. And he's whispering, Daddy, we're going to go to the trampoline park. He's so excited. And, and for days, it's all he's talked about. And, and, and he still brings it up. He's excited. It's today the day we're going. It's today the day we're going. Right? He just can't help but tell people. He was so happy. So happy to share the good news that he received. Church, what are we doing with the good news that we've received? You see, in 1 Peter 1.12, Peter talks about our salvation through Jesus, which was prophesied. And he says about the prophets, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Listen to this last part. Things into which angels long to look. And that last phrase is so interesting because what Peter says is that our salvation through Jesus is something that the angels don't understand. You see, we, we have something that the angels long to, that they, they deeply desire to look at. And that word look means to, to stoop over, right, to bend down. It's like the angels are up in heaven and they're stooping down trying to see what is God doing here? What's happening? What's going on with mankind? They don't understand salvation. They're curious about it. You see, there aren't saved angels. There's obedient angels and disobedient angels, but they have no access to salvation. Of all of God's creations, we are the only ones who get to experience God's grace. We're the only ones who get to walk out his redemption and live in the joy of his salvation. The angels don't understand why an almighty, all-powerful, 
omnipresent, perfectly holy, righteous God would step down out of heaven, take on human flesh, and lay down his life and sacrifice for mankind. The angels look at the gospel and marvel. They're fascinated by it. And they haven't even received it. They haven't even received it. They've witnessed what God's done, and they're fascinated by it, but they haven't even received it. So what should that mean for those of us who have? What should that mean for those of us who have experienced the grace of God, who do walk in the newness of life and the forgiveness and freedom of sin, who, who, those of us who were destined for destruction but who have been brought up out of the pit of misery, the pit of despair, and seated in the heavenly places, adopted into the family of God, what should our response be to this proclamation? I think the question before us is really, do we believe the message? Do we believe the message? If you say, I believe it, do you understand the implications of the message for your life, for the lives of others? Because the angel said that this was going to be a message of good news, of great joy for all people. But how can it be for all people if they never hear the message? Romans 1.14, Paul says, And how can they believe in him of whom they have never heard? You see, if we believe this message and we've received this message, then we have to do something with this message. And if we're going to say we understand it, you say, I believe the gospel, I understand the gospel. And if that's true, you're going to want to do something with it. You're going to want to do something with it. You see, it'll be like that thing that you just can't wait to share. You see, we like the angels. We, we too get to join in the process of sharing a proclamation of good news, of great joy for all people. We get to join in on that task. So I want you to see the proclamation of the angels. And lastly, church, I want you to see the invitation of the angels. Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I love this. The, the, angel, the, the angel didn't just deliver the message, but he said, Come and see. He said, You'll find the baby in a manger. You see, it was an invitation for the shepherds not just to believe the word, but to go and investigate, to go and examine, to see the truth for themselves. And then a, a host of thousands upon thousands of angels appeared, praising God and shouting, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace with those whom he has pleased. And if the shepherds weren't already freaked out, they definitely are now. But, but see this also. The angels didn't just invite them to come and see the truth of the message, but now they're inviting them to join them in the worship of the one true king. And I believe that what happened in the field that night is that those shepherds received a glimpse of what is constantly happening in heaven. You see, in Job 38, God is speaking to Job, and he says in verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And a little bit further in verse 7, it says, When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And if we're to take the sons of God here and believe them to be angels, 
then the implication is that the angels were present at the creation of the earth. And not only were they present, but they were singing and shouting praise to God. And I believe that they were shouting and singing praises to God at creation and that they have continued to do so continually throughout history. And that what happened in the field with the shepherds is that for a brief moment, the heavens opened, the the heavenly choir descended, and they got to see a piece of what is always happening. And we learn from Revelations 5 that the singing doesn't stop. Listen to verse 11. It says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down, and they worshipped. And the song might be different in Revelations, but the joyful worship has not stopped. They were singing at creation. They were singing at the incarnation, and they're going to be singing in the restoration when all things are made new. The question is, will we join in with that song? Are we inviting others to join us in worshiping our Savior and Lord? Are our lives models of worship and beacons of light filled with the radiance and glory of God, inviting others to come and see? Come and see how God has changed me. Come and see how God can change you too. Come and see how he can make you new. Allow me to put things together like this. In the formation of creation, While God laid the foundation, the angels worshiped in adoration. In inhalation, God made man the culmination of his creation, and in celebration, God rested. But the jubilation would soon lead to frustration and complication because mankind developed an infatuation with temptation. You see, because of sin, men and women suffered deprivation and the escalation of every vexation. They fell under condemnation, becoming an abomination destined for damnation. In short, eternal separation and alienation from God. And the explanation for their incrimination is that the penalization of their humiliation was annihilation. But God did not leave them to obliteration, but stayed their elimination by giving a declaration of salvation. He promised one would come who would provide emancipation by giving a de- but, 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 a emancipation from our destination for the whole population. Instead of termination, he would bring the eradication of self-exaltation and the restoration of our communication with God. And in anticipation, the angels in all creation waited with rapt captivation and fascination for the presentation of God's predestination. Many years passed, but the time of incubation was all in preparation for the preservation of man, all leading to a woman, Mary. And in exclamation, the angel gave her the information that the summation of her gestation was the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us, forever, not just a vacation. And in contemplation, Mary sat in adulation. And so to the shepherds, the angels gave the proclamation without hesitation or reservation that the consummation of God's salvation had come. 
This was no fabrication or exaggeration, and they invited them to the examination and investigation of their renunciation. For now was the time of coronation. The king had come, bringing the maximization of God's magnification throughout all creation. God had made a way for man to receive justification and purification through reincarnation. The result was transformation, which brought harmonization and sanctification as we live as God's representation for his glorification. Eternity with God, no expiration. So church, if this oration has filled you with a sensation of inspiration, then let me ask you one question. Have you responded to your invitation? Have you? Have you received this message of good news? Do you believe it? Has it radically transformed and changed your life? Have you responded to God's invitation, calling you into relationship with him? If you have, are you inviting others to come and see, to examine the goodness of God in your life, to come and see the change that he's brought? Are you a beacon of light, declaring good news of great joy for all people? Or are you like Mr. Conklin, following the rules and just hoping nobody bothers you along the way? Church, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I believe that God speaks through his word. I believe he's speaking to you now. I just pray and ask that you would respond as he leads you. Stand with us while we worship.
we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for a chance to come here and worship you and magnify your name. God, I pray that we would leave here walking in your goodness, walking in your gospel, that we would leave here taking it to the ends of the earth, to every street of Fayetteville, of Hope Mills, of every place that you lead us to, God, will we go with your gospel message ready on our lips. Would we desire to see people be reconciled to you? Would we anticipate the day when we will sing with you in heaven? God, we thank you this. We thank you for your goodness. We say all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning, church. Y'all have a great week.